Well, welcome into another edition of Talking Ducks. Oregon dismantles Cal. We'll break down that game as Bo Nix improves his Heisman Trophy chances, plus a big-time matchup at home against USC and the Trojans shuffling their coaching staff. Alex Grinch, the defensive coordinator, he's gone. We'll let you know why that's a bad thing for the Ducks, and then we go to the mailbag and answer your questions. But let's go ahead and get to our opening drive, brought to you by Capital Toyota, your way on the highway. And we bring in the rest of the crew here, Joey Harrington, Anthony Newman, and Aaron Fentress. And guys, here we are, November football, the Ducks are rolling. You see this blowout victory against Cal. Wasn't the smoothest start to the game here now, Joey, but... Oregon's got that luxury, it seems like, where you don't have to play an A-plus game to get a victory over Cal. What did you take away from this one where Oregon got the victory in a game where they truly should have just won? <laughs> it's so funny that that's the first comment out of so many people's mouths this week. Is God, they looked out of sorts in that first quarter. That first quarter was kind of ugly. Oh, they didn't really play that great to start the game. And then you look back at Bo's stat line, and he was 29-38 of 38 for 386 and six total touchdowns. And the only, the only interception, the only like negative thing he had on there was a ball that hit a dude in the face mask. Like that's, <laughs> that's what this team has become. It doesn't matter how kind of sloppy they look to start. They are just so consistent on both sides of the ball. They, they gave it one touchdown, right? I'm, I was trying to do the math. You know, they've only given up a few touchdowns defensively. That's not a good idea when you try to do math, by the way. Well, you know, they, you know, six of one, half dozen of the other. They're they're so solid on defense. Their Bo is just the most consistent player I've seen in college football. That even when they look out of sorts, they still win sixty to whatever it was. Like this is just this is a pretty special Oregon football team. In that even when they're not perfect. They're still really, really good, and they don't make mistakes that end up killing you at the end, right? Their imperfections are simply... Oh, I'm trying to think of the right word. Their imperfections aren't catastrophic, right? Their imperfections are simply, oh, they gave up a first down, or oh, we had to punt. You know, it's not something that's going to put them behind the chains or put them behind the eight ball where they're having to make up a ton of ground at the end of the game, and... and you know, you, you saw that again this week. They came out of the gate slow, but both still had nearly 400 yards and six touchdowns. So I think that's okay. Yeah, it feels like a bad game for Oregon is a game that a lot of teams around the country would be more than happy to take week after week. And so, Anthony, we're getting into this territory here with the Ducks with this win over Cal where you just kind of expect them to win, and it feels like they can really only get in their own way at this point. Well, yeah, true. I mean, they're playing as a team. That's what, you're, that's what you want to see uh, in November. Your offense plays well. Your defense plays well. If, if somebody messes up, your offense will back you up or the defense will back you up. And also, special teams. So these are team victories that we're seeing. We're seeing you know, a, the whole team playing well. Now, there's still mistakes out there. Joey said it. The first quarter, everybody was like, whoa, they're not playing good. Whoa, what happened? Interception. What's going on? But you play four quarters of football. And, we, and coaches always tell us that. It's four quarters of football. Uh, it's not the first quarter. It's not the second quarter. Uh, and then the, the adjustments that happen after halftime. So I re I'm really liking this team. You know, when, when, when you play well in November, you have to win in November. But when you play well in November as a team, you're doing pretty good. 
All right, Aaron, I know you're looking even more sickly than you normally do, and you were just moments ago barfing your guts why, out, but I appreciate you, you being here, I, and why, I know see, you're why, healthy see, enough I I to give us some truth that. here. <laughs> but, you know, you look at this with Jordan, a warm Jordan, Jordan, Jordan he was just sick that he had to come and, on and say something nice what, about the ducks. That was the, you know, he was just so sick. what it was. You know what? I was, I was like, oh, my God, I can't come up with something negative. Oh, okay, anyway. <laughs> All right, I, I have a trivia question for you guys. Okay. 2014, probably the greatest team ever. Oregon Ducks at home against Wyoming, which finished the season four and eight. Who can tell me what the score was after the first quarter? 7-0. You're right. 7-0. What's up? Wyoming. Wyoming was up 7-0. And I remember covering that game, and it was in the era where you just searched for anything to try and point to something negative because you were talking about a program that had grand dreams of winning a national title. So something like that is a little bit disturbing because if you come out slowly against a really good team, you could be down 21-0 as opposed to 7. And that's sort of where we are right now with the Ducks. It's like they started out slowly against Washington State, smashed them. You know, they started out slowly this past week, sort of, kind of smashed Cal. So that's where we are. We're nitpicking a little bit here. We're, we're, we're expecting a football team to be perfect from start to finish. And that just usually isn't a thing. You're going to give up something. You're going to have something go wrong, whether it happens in the first couple drives or in the middle of the game or it's spread out. It doesn't really matter. The end result is what matters. And the Ducks just throttled a bad defense. The week before, they destroyed a pretty mediocre offense in Utah with injuries, but that offense suddenly came to life the next week. It had, it had been great against USC, and then it came to life and just destroyed Arizona State, right? But against the Ducks, they could do nothing. Cal... Their offense had been pretty good. They're averaging 30-something points per game. They got shut down other than some early stuff. And their defense has been bad, and the Ducks just made them look even worse by dropping a 60 spot on them. So it's one of those situations where you got to give the Ducks A's across the board and just not worry too much about the hiccups here and there, although they still have three huge games coming up, and you got to reduce the hiccups a little bit more because you could bite you at some point. All right. Well, speaking of those games, it's time now to get to our legendary performance brought to you by Abby's Legendary Pizza. And how about Bo Nix? Joey, you pointed it out, six touchdown passes. But here's the thing. He's now number two when it comes to the favorites for the Heisman Trophy. Penix plus 150, Bo Nix plus 200. So, Joey, you've got these storylines of Oregon taking on USC. You go on the road against Arizona State. You have Oregon State at home, a possible matchup again against Washington in the Pac-12 championship game. Penix, Knicks, I love it. Hook these storylines up to my veins. Tell me why Bo Nix is peaking at the right time and what you see from him the rest of the season. Why is he peaking at the right time? Well, I mean, I, the right years time old. is... What's that? He's 70 years old. <laughs> <laughs> and I was going to say, being, he's peaking at... Being a fifth-year starter doesn't hurt. Go ahead. Well, yeah, but, look, but think about this, though. Like, is, yeah, he threw for 386, which is, which is a lot, but it's not like he's thrown for... I think he had 241 game, maybe when they pulled him out and didn't play him in the fourth quarter. Like, every single game for him has been a peak. You know, it's all sitting right around. He's averaging 300 yards a game, a few touchdowns, not turning the ball over. Like, that's the thing for Bo is that it hasn't been a peaks and valley kind of season. You know, Penix, you know, he went through the roof and then fell off for two weeks. Bo has just been step, 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 and just consistently every single time getting better. 
and what that leads to is is hopefully you know as as if the season plays out the way we want it to, is that rematch against Washington in the Pac-12 championship game where the entire country will be watching. And that's the moment. That's the opportunity. That's the chance to have that, that you know, Heisman, Heisman moment. Um, because we really haven't had that from anybody this year. Um, you know, Penix was spectacular against a, a terrible USC defense. Um, he was really good against, against Oregon. You know, I'm, I'm trying to think of, you know, Jaden Daniels has been really good, but nobody's had that one. I'm thinking of like the Eric Crouch, um, you know, the reverse pass back to him, the, um, Tim Brown, you know, kick return, the Desmond Howard, like you have those moments where it's like, up oh, there's your Heisman. This season is setting up for that Washington-Oregon Pac-12 championship game to be that Heisman moment. Mm. And Anthony, I mean, you look at what Bo Nix has steadily done. I think Joey hit it right on the head. It hasn't been a wow-type game, 500, 600 yards. I mean, you even saw one from Shadur Sanders to start the season. But the value in just consistently playing at a high level especially this time in the season when teams do start to falter, fatigue does kick in, it feels like the consistency is the most appealing thing about Bo Nix. Well, here's the crazy thing about Bo Nix. You know, every time we talk about Bo Nix, as a defensive guy, I'm thinking, okay, he's going to run the football. We got to be careful. We have to account for him as a running back. We have to account for him when he's back in the pocket if he scrambles and he takes off and he runs his third and 16 and he picks up the first down. Bo hasn't been doing that. It's crazy. I mean, he doesn't have to do that. I mean, when he's dropping back, and Joey, you could talk about this more, but when he's dropping back in the pocket, he's scanning the field, then he's throwing the ball. He's scanning the field, then he's throwing the ball to the other side. I mean, so it's the supporting cast that's really working very well with him, the line up front blocking, giving him time to throw the football, and the receivers separating from the DBs, getting open, getting in those open windows for Bo to throw the football. Because Bo could hurt you as a runner. And that's what scares me as a defensive coordinator. We have to watch this young man. He will take off and run against us, and he's not. That's what's so amazing about Bo. So, Jordan, if you remember last season and this season, and before this season, we were asked to talk about what can Bo do better. And I found my little nitpick. I searched hard. I was digging. I was digging like a little muskrat, right? And it was... It, it was improving as a pocket passer when you were already pretty damn good at it, right? He completed 72% of his pass last year. Obviously, some of those are on the run. But th the one thing was, can he control games and dominate games while doing it mostly or even more so from the pocket? And like Newman said, he isn't running as much this season, but he's been equally as dominant because his completion percentage has gone up. His touchdown to interception ratio has improved. And he's just achieved a certain mastery of the position in part because he should be in the NFL right now. He would have been if not for COVID. But, you know, it's what happens when you have a wily vet with 95 starts on his bed or whatever, 60 or whatever it is. He's just – he knows what he's going to do with the football as soon as he – well, they don't break – they don't huddle. As soon as the play comes in, he has an idea of where it's going. He knows why they're calling that play. He knows probably what they're going to see. He knows where he's going to go. And then it's just a matter of just doing it. And it's just too easy for him right now because everything that he pre-snaps, 
is going to happen. And if something does change, he's got it. He's been there, done that. And that's just going to make Oregon extremely difficult to beat and upset because you're not going to be able to rely on disrupting the quarterback. Most victories when you have elite teams, it comes down to who disrupts the quarterback and forces that mistake that changes the game. And that's going to be extremely tough for any team to do against Oregon right now because Bo Nix is just being ridiculous. Yeah, that's a great point you make there, Aaron. And Joey, I would go to you. It feels like there hasn't been a moment or even a series that Bo has felt rattled this season, Joey. And, you know, look at how well Tess Johnson played and just having those weapons at his disposal. To me, that kind of feels like the difference this year as well, too, just that experience. He just doesn't get rattled back there, regardless of what defenses are throwing at him. Yeah, I mean, you you said there hasn't been a, a series, you know, so immediately I start like, all right, has there been? <laughs> the only thing I can think of is potentially that last drive against Washington, uh, a couple throwaways, right? They still got into field goal range. Um, and I would say that would be more of kind of a, and it's interesting, they, they, threw, they, they brought cover zero at them a couple times, and it just felt like offensively they weren't expecting it. They've responded to that a couple times since that Washington game. So that tells me that was a that was a coach and quarterback preparation thing. And then the first drive at Washington State. I mean, but God, like, it, yeah, there has been no rattle um, for Bo at all. And, and and I think the interesting thing, and and we talk about it a lot. Um, he's able to do that. He's able to sit and scan the pocket. One because you know he's really smart and he has a lot of experience under his belt, but two, because he has the time to do it. I mean, he, he simply has no pressure um, in his face. And when he does, Anthony, he's athletic enough to get out, to escape, to throw the ball on the run, to, to create plays down the field. Like, this is, just a, this is just an offense that is so finely tuned right now that they don't get rattled. And if there is a small breakdown, there's enough talent and there's enough experience and there's no, enough explosiveness that they just say, ah, okay, boom, here's, what, you know, here's how we're going to get out of it. Like, this, is, this is very different from the Marcus 2014 year, you know, Aaron, like you mentioned. But um, I don't know that I've seen much better offensive football from, from an Oregon team. I mean, this is just, it's a week-in, week-out clinic on the offensive side of the ball. Well, USC will be tasked with trying to slow down this Oregon offense. They just fired their defensive coordinator. When we come back and talk in Ducks, we'll let you know why that firing is bad news for Oregon as they get set to take on the Trojans. So much more talking Ducks when we come back. You're watching Talking Ducks, built by Par Lumber. You know, thought about it a lot throughout the night, didn't sleep much, thought about it a little bit more Sunday morning and, and uh, just felt like uh, it was the best interest of our, our program, uh, both for both for this year, uh, because we still have a lot to play for. We, we still have a really cool opportunity in front of us um, and for the future that uh, that we needed to make the change. And uh, we just, you know, we simply weren't making the progress. Uh, I think that we, that we all expected that we would make um, and um, you know, it's tough because you, you know, these decisions, when you make them, uh, you know, there's no guarantees in this game. I mean, we're, we're two football snaps away from being undefeated in this conference right now. You just, 
you never know exactly how these things are going to go. Um, you know, Alex is a, a great coach, a great person. He's proven that a lot throughout his career. And I'm disappointed that it didn't work here. I know, I know he is as well. Um, but we've got to move on. Uh, we're going to move on. Excited for uh, for Coach uh, Nua and Coach Odom, their opportunity. Excited for Taylor Mays. Excited for our team. We got a big time challenge, but a big time opportunity right in front of us here with these last two games. That was Lincoln Riley playing the role of Grinch in the firing of defensive coordinator Alex Grinch. And this is just right before the Oregon game. This was a USC defense that had issues all season long, giving up gobs of points to seem like whoever they played. And now, Anthony, this is really intriguing because on the outside, you might look at a team and see this disarray of a coaching change and think, oh, this is great, but... I think a lot of players and people that have watched this team as well too hate this decision because you wanted Grinch to be the defensive coordinator as they're facing Oregon. This feels like one of those moves, Anthony, that could really galvanize an extremely talented USC defense and really rejuvenate them as they come to Eugene to try and play spoiler. Well, yeah, there was a disconnect between the defensive coordinator and that, that, that football team, that, that defensive team. I mean, you know, I talked to several coaches watching USC, and, and it was bad. They had, you know, guys not being on the field when they needed to be on the field. They had, you know, outside linebackers doing the wrong things. They had uh, a defensive lineman doing some crazy stuff. And it was just a big-time disconnect, and, and it was just confusion. You know, and they're giving up 45 points per game. I mean, you know, and it's kind of crazy because I think, Aaron, you talked about this. They have so much talent on that football team. I mean, well, they got all these four and five star players, but you can't put a team together to produce, you know, success. It, it's it's kind of crazy. But at the same time, your coach is your leader. Your, your defensive coach is your leader. He's going to lead you guys. He's going to put up a, a game plan. You guys going to follow it. But if you don't believe in your coach, if you don't believe what he's teaching, what he's talking about, then there's a disconnect and then there's problems. I've been there before, had that situation. You don't play what you don't want to play for him. You're playing for you. You're not playing for the team. You're playing for what you can get out of it. And it's, it becomes, you know, an individual act compared to a team act. And, and Joey, how hard does this make the preparation for Oregon? Because I imagine what you've seen on film from this USC defense over the last couple of weeks is not going to resemble anything that you're going to see in Eugene because of how poor this defense had been. Yeah, ish. I would, I would, I would categorize that as an ish statement in that they're not going to completely, you know, you're not going to flip the scheme. You know, you're not going to, um, you know, all of a sudden go from a four-man front to a three-man front. I mean, you're not going to completely, you know, blow things up. But you are probably going to have a few more wrinkles. You probably, or some different wrinkles. You may um, simplify things a little bit. But I think more than anything, and, you know, you saw it with... Um, with Antonio Pierce this week in um, in Las, Las Vegas, Vegas, right? I I just have this feeling that I mean, well, there was a moment on the game when Alex Grinch brought the team up. You know, all right, you know, let's break from the sideline. He puts his hand up to break down the defensive group from the sideline, and nobody put their hand up with him, and they literally just walked out onto the field. There is no cohesion. You, that, that moment, immediately when I saw it, I said every single one of those guys hates that coach. You get rid of that figure and you put somebody in there who's respected, who the guys want to play for, 
all of a sudden there's going to be a spark. There's going to be a light. So you, you don't necessarily need to change the scheme. You just need to have somebody in a place of leadership that people believe in, that people can get behind, that um, people feel is listening to them and working for them. Like, this, this, is a, this is kind of a scary situation for that, that reason that you said just now, Anthony, is like there's no shortage of talent on this team. Um, it's just a matter of finding the right person to, to lead them, to organize them. And in the same way that you know, Las Vegas went out and scored a bunch of points this last weekend, like, that's the kind of thing that can happen when you get rid of a coach and, bring in, and, and replace him with somebody that the guys respect. And Aaron... The talent level of this USC defense, is it enough to mix things up and play with heart to disrupt what we've seen from this Oregon offense? Or how do you look at this? Because this just really throws a big old monkey wrench into anything that you could predict with this game coming up. It's a fascinating situation because when we, we're talking about talent right now and how much talent they have, we're, we're basing it on recruiting rankings. And we know that sometimes those can be false and that sometimes you get a four-star kid and think he's going to be a lockdown corner and dudes are just routing him left and right, right? So then is it the coach or is it the player? But what's interesting to me is that they make this decision after getting lit up by one of the best quarterbacks in the country. They didn't make this decision after losing to Utah with a third-string quarterback or even after losing to – or not losing, but giving up 49 to Cal. Like, to me, that's when you make the decision, not waiting until Penix lights you up. So that's kind of the interesting, kind of weird thing for me. But this will be a great situation to sort of see – how much the coach was really hurting the talent, or if the talent just isn't either A, as good as we think, or B, they're clueless and they can't pick up the defense and everyone's just making poor assignment decisions. So it'll, be, it'll definitely be interesting. I'm, I'm curious, I want to ask Newman, aside from the idea that maybe the players didn't respect and were becoming selfish or whatever, can, the ch can a change in coordinator create that much of a schematic change right away? to impact a team? A it's not going to be a schematic change. It's going to be guys get on the field, play fast, play hard, uh, and play discipline. It, it's about the fundamentals and techniques that you're taught. See, sometimes people think schemes win football games, and they don't. It's just fundamentals and technique. And I, I think when you have a guy that you don't want to play for, you don't care about, you're not putting your heart and your soul into the game. You're not doing what you need to do. You're not focusing out there on the field. But when you do have a guy that you will jump in front of a bullet for, you'll do everything in the extra, go that extra mile to play harder for him and it has nothing to do with scheme. So you think it's 100% that and that they're, they're not necessarily going to – because there were some criticisms of some things Grinch did. And if we're talking about it's not the scheme and totally was the fact that they just didn't like the coach, then, then that guy should have been gone eight weeks ago because that should have been evident then. But I would imagine they're going to do some things differently. But regardless, like you're saying, you think it's going to be more about buy-in for the players than anything. That makes sense. Yeah, and Joey said that earlier. It, it's about, you know, it happened with the Las Vegas Raiders. Okay, so I mean, if that's I, the case, so if that's the case, if schemes are relevant and it's about buy-in, then the Ducks are in trouble. Because if this team can play up to its alleged talent level, because would, we would call them bad if they were giving up 30-plus a game. Giving up in the 40s? <laughs> it's just asinine, especially when you're watching Caleb Williams destroyed on offense. You can't go out there and just get a couple stops. So if it is just about buy-in and these guys buy-in and they have the talent, this is going to be a game. 
Yeah. Hey, hey, questions hey, about hey, the defense. Hey, no questions on. about USC's offense. Let's listen to Dan Landing, his thoughts on the Trojans and what they can do as far as the other side of the ball. I don't think we've seen an offense quite like this offense. Um, it's really unique. Obviously, you know, the, the closest would be, you know, Washington in some ways with the explosive passes. You know, quarterback can make every single throw. They've got uh, great weapons. Um, they're strong in the offensive front with their own line. Uh, they got a really good running game. You know, um, Marshawn's running the ball really, really well. Seems like they get into positive plays really uh, easily. And and the shot, the shot game is always there. I mean, um, he extends plays and holds on to the ball longer than anybody in college football, and he can make every throw. You know, so that's that's dangerous um, if you're not able to get him down on the ground and not able to cover for a long time. So they present a lot of challenges. I mean, they use the tight end in the passing game. They run the ball well. Um, they're a scheme team, you know, and they and they do what they do really well. But they're going to bring new wrinkles into each game that you have to be prepared for, and they're uh, one of the harder opponents to prepare for. All right, we only have a couple more minutes here, but Joey, I just want to go to you. Your thoughts on Caleb Williams, obviously tremendous talent. Do you even possibly slow this guy down? I mean, how do you try to just at least provide some sort of resistance against this USC offense? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, nobody's done it. <laughs> um, how do you how do you do it? I, I mean, watching that US and granted, Washington isn't a great defense. Oregon has, a, has shown that they have a better defense than Washington. But um, what you do is you just is you just get one stop. You know, you get one stop against those guys, and then and then you then the scoring balance gets you know out of whack, and then you win. Um, look, I, I think when you're playing a team like this, you have to understand that you're going to give up shots. You're going to give up explosive plays, but that can't deter you from doing what you need to do, which is just get off the field. Do everything you possibly can to get off the field because. It doesn't matter how many yards you give up. If you can just force them to a field goal, force them to punt, like just do everything you possibly can to keep them out of the end zone, that is going to be enough with how good Oregon's offense is and how porous USC's defense has been. All right, Oregon, USC. We don't know what the defense is going to bring to the table, but it is Caleb Williams, and this is a Trojan team that is hungry for a redeeming victory. Should set the table up very nicely here. All right, when we come back, Dan Rubenstein will join the show. We'll get his thoughts on the most recent college football playoff rankings and his thoughts around the rest of the country as we continue along on Talking Ducks. You're watching Talking Ducks, built by Par Lumber. Welcome back to Talking Ducks. Time now for It Never Rains with Dan Rubenstein from the Solid Verbal. And Dan, big matchup for Oregon against SC. And USC just fired defensive coordinator Alex Grinch. And I'm curious, what's your take when a team has really struggled on one particular side of the ball? They fire that coordinator and then they're getting set for a big matchup. I've got my thoughts as far as Oregon's perspective on this, but what's your take on this firing? It seemed overdue. This is something USC fans wanted for a long time. He has a very specific defense in the way that he coaches his front to slant and sort of take chances to force tackles for a loss or turnovers. But as we've seen all year long, the lanes were wide, wide open, especially on the ground against this USC defense. And so it didn't seem like either adjustments were made properly or that this team wasn't built for this type of system or the system is just 
not working against who USC has on its schedule. So look, when you make a, a change midseason, it generally means either the culture is in a terrible place and a team is trying to salvage a locker room, or it seems that players have just tuned out a specific coach and USC is very much still technically in the mix because one of their losses was to Notre Dame. So they need help and they need to win out for the, uh, for the PAC 12 crown and to get to Vegas. And so the thought is, okay, maybe the defense is tuned out. Maybe the defense and the, the coaching staff are just on a different page and a new voice can get through to the team. And so ahead of a big matchup against a huge offense like Oregon, obviously with UCLA on the horizon, that you know maybe it's just a new voice is something that this USC defense needs. That's, I, I assume, the thinking. Yeah, and then overall, just this matchup against the Trojans at home, Caleb Williams, what else can we say about him and what he's been able to showcase in the last two years? But Oregon comes in as a 16.5-point favorite. What do you make about Oregon being favored that highly against a USC team that can put up dozens and dozens of points? Sure. I mean, it speaks to where the defense is. Obviously, this is a secondary, unlike what we've seen in recent times uh, from Oregon, and a pass rush, unlike what we've seen in recent times. And, you know, we've seen USC, especially on the road. We saw it last year against Oregon State in protecting Caleb Williams. We saw it this year against Notre Dame that Caleb Williams is obviously one of one, but the talent he's surrounded by does not match his own ability. And so whether or not he's on the run he needs to make Superman plays constantly for USC to have a chance against better teams on their schedule, of which Oregon is probably the best team on their schedule in terms of how complete they are. So it's just, it's a shame that we don't get to see a, a full team around Caleb Williams. But the, what the line indicates to me is home field advantage, the depth of Oregon's defense, the results that Oregon's defense has gotten and what they feel like this USC team might look like if they go down 14 to three in the way that, look, you're firing a, a coordinator, you're on the road, and Caleb Williams certainly has seemed to be emotionally exhausted after some of these matchups. Just like, is this a USC team that will pack it in at halftime if they're down 28 to seven, 31 to seven? I think that's where that line might be coming from. All right, college football playoff pretty much unchanged for Oregon and Washington, the Huskies five, Ducks six. But when you look at, the future in the next three weeks for me personally Dan I don't love the fact that you have an undefeated Florida State you've got an SEC team with one loss in Alabama and then you have Texas with one loss but a victory over Alabama I'm getting this hunch that there might not be enough seats left on the bus for a one loss Pac-12 champion Oregon team but if you're a Duck fan who are you rooting for these final weeks of the season uh, I suppose you're a big Georgia fan in the uh, in the SEC championship game against Alabama to give Alabama a second loss. You're rooting for whoever Texas or Florida State are playing against. And so, weirdly enough, that means rooting for Mario Cristobal and Miami this coming weekend <laughs> against Florida State, a game in which I think Florida State is 16, 17, 18-point favorites. It's over 14. Uh, and then I suppose you're rooting for whoever Texas is playing. So this weekend is an interesting one because TCU has traditionally owned Texas, They've taken a pretty significant step back from where they were last year when they went to the national championship game. And then it's a former Oregon opponent in Texas Tech to finish out the year. So that's what you're rooting for. And then whoever that, you know, might Texas might be playing in a potential Big 12 championship game, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, who knows. But we, we have this conversation every year, early November, where we're seeing how everything is shaking out. It always takes care of itself. Right, we, we had this conversation perhaps in like 2018 when Oregon's looking great with Justin Herbert. They unfortunately are on the losing end of it taking care of itself when they lose to ASU. And so 
that's where we are as a program. I think it was 28, no, 2019, excuse me. I think that's where we are right now as a, a college football universe is it's hard to be patient, but that's what's required. Yeah, really difficult slate of games for most teams the rest of the way. They all have at least one or two matchups against ranked teams. All right, before we get going here, one of our mailbag questions coming up in the next segment is comparing this year's current team to the 2001 team. In your opinion, how does this year's Oregon squad stack up against that Joey Harrington-led team Man. that won the Fiesta Bowl over Colorado? It was a great team. If I remember correctly, they just lost on the road to Stanford. At home they, at Stanford with a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter. Correct. Yes, Black correct. Yep. And my first Oregon game, my first time to Autzen, was Jared Siegel hitting the game-winning field goal against USC. So there is some <laughs> symmetry. There is some poetry there. Uh, this is, as far as I can tell, every single sport, every athlete, every team basically gets better over time. And so football players are better now than they were years ago. Basketball players, baseball players, everything. So if we're just comparing, you know, this team against its schedule against what Oregon did in 2001, this is the most complete team I've seen from Oregon. The numbers back it up right now. Their net points per drive. So that's offensive points per drive minus defensive points allowed is the best of at least the past 15 years for Oregon. Ahead of 2012, ahead of 2010, ahead of the Heisman year for Marcus Mariota in 2014. They are... I think the number one or number two offense nationally, and they are a top 15 defense nationally, which is madness. Anything over two is incredible. They're at 2.65 points. So that means anytime they have the ball and anytime they're playing defense, they are netting 2.6 points every exchange, which is a bonkers number. That's ahead of 2019's LSU squad. Granted, that was against a tougher schedule. Right. But I, this year's team so far looks above and beyond and maybe i'm a victim of the moment but that's what it is to my eyes no they're special i think that's why you're so concerned about how things are going to shake out with this college football playoff because it would be a travesty if oregon ends up with only one loss beats washington in the in the yeah. pac-12 championship game yet doesn't get a chance to test it against probably the most wide open college football playoff we've had in a long time so we'll see how it shakes out a lot of football left here dan remind everybody where they can find you once again yeah, it's the Solid Verbal Podcast, anywhere you listen to podcasts or youtube.com slash at Solid Verbal. All right. And again, he makes some of the best pizza you'll ever find in <laughs> Illinois, let alone the whole Midwest. All right, Dan, thanks again. Stick around when we come back. We answer your questions on the mailbag when we come back on Talking Ducks. You're watching Talking Ducks, built by Par Lumber. Welcome back to Talking Ducks. Time now for our mailbag, brought to you by Par Lumber. And this first question is from Anthony, not Newman. And this is for you, Joey. The question is, is this squad better than your 2000-2001 squad that finished second in the nation, the Fiesta Bowl? Because I feel like they are similar. So, Joey, you played for that team, obviously. You've seen this team this year. Do you see the similarities? Do you feel like they're on the same level? Do I see the similarities? Um, no. Bo is significantly better at, and more efficient at this point than I was. Um, and that is a fact. Um, are they better than our 2001 team? Um, not until they win the national championship. Um, I think that, you know, do they have the potential to be? 
I mean, if they keep playing like this and they keep winning, then they're, they're going to, you know, and, and, and they win the big one, then yeah, absolutely. But until then, you've got a team with Marcus that was true. I mean, Marcus is the class of Oregon football. Um, and he took him to the national championship game, won a college football playoff game in, in semifinals, you know, was that close. Um, and, then, and then our team um, and, and the 2000, what would be, 2010 team. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's tough to make that kind of distinction until you've played all the way through. Uh, because, you know, that's that's really what's going to decide. That's the difference between those teams. Um, do I see the similarities? I think they've got a great running back duo. We had we had Mo in Ontario. Um, you know, they've got they've got Bucky and, and, and Jordan. Um, I think they, they've got similar talent. Yeah, but I, I think Bo is, <laughs> if I'm being honest right now, Bo at this point is better than I was at at this point, and and that's that's just I just I just gotta respond to this. Yeah, go ahead, Aaron. Joey Harrington, you know nothing when it comes to Joey Harrington. We've had this conversation <laughs> in the past before about Marcus, early Marcus, when we we're still trying to figure out how good Marcus was. If you played in a spread offense with multiple receivers and got to throw the ball over all over the field, you would put up similar numbers. Like you, you just would. Style styles matter. That. The offense has completely changed. We saw, here's it, we, 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 Kellen Clemens. Go look at Kellen Clemens 2004, and then look at Kellen Clemens 2005. All they did was change the offense, spread those guys around. It changed the running game. It changed the passing game. You get a lot of cheap completions in, in the way things are spread out now. So just in your defense, Joey, I think you would have thrived in a similar offense. Fair, fair, fair. I'll say that. But I guess the, the point that I'm making is, what is he at, 20... 24 touchdowns and two interceptions. You know, I think I thought I think I finished like 26 and four, 26 and six or something Again, like they that. They carry over it's some of the ones era. at Oregon State the year before teams, too. Teams, all teams score more now. It's like it's completely yeah. different. It's like I the NBA know. with a three-pointer. You know, Larry Bird, Larry Bird took two threes a game in his career. Today he'd take ten. That's all. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And it's interesting to me because correct me if I'm wrong, and Joe and Anthony. Your 2001 team, Joey, is one of just two Oregon teams to finish the season with one loss on the year. And I think that says a lot. You know how I am about history. I'm not even going to entertain this conversation. Win a big game other than battered Utah. Come on. The 2001 team is a top three team of all time. Didn't we, we did our bracket. Didn't it come down to 01 versus 14? I think it came down. Yep. Okay. So I'm not going to entertain the idea that this team is even in that area code until maybe you rack up some more wins against ranked teams and, I don't know, maybe win the conference. I don't know. Maybe win a major bowl game. There's a lot to go before I'm even going to have that discussion. True. All right. True. We have one more question here, and I want to get to Anthony on this one. This is from Sean Morris. What do you think the Ducks need to focus on improving the most? We've been singing their praises all episode long here, Anthony, but this is not a perfect football team by any means. What's the one area they need to focus on as they get set for not only USC, but trying to get to this Pac-12 championship game and through Oregon State? Stop beating yourself. The penalties. The penalties are crazy. You, 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 <laughs> the penalties are crazy. Play. What's that? What's that? The area? penalties are crazy. Yeah, it's just bad. amazing how many times. It's just amazing. The penalties are crazy. They're gonna, it's going to hurt them. Go, go ahead. Sorry. sorry yeah, no, no. But he's, you're right. You're exactly right. You just can't beat yourself. And when you, okay, against USC, they're going to score some points. So when you're in Oregon's offense, you can't have holding calls, jumping off sides. All the, 
You can't have that because you have to score too. It's a basketball game. You're going back and forth. you got to score when they score. And if you're beating yourself, beating yourself or stopping yourself because of penalties, then you're not going to win that big game. You're not going to win the Pac-12 championship. You're not going to go and win a bowl game because you're beating yourself. And that's about discipline and focus. And I think Dan Landing, or I know Dan Landing, has talked to the guys about that. You know, you have to focus. You have to understand, you know, the importance of being smart, doing the right thing, because it's not an individual act. It's a team. We win as a team. If after your games, the officials are in your training rooms getting MRIs on their shoulder and elbows for doing this, you, you got a problem, <laughs> just, to, just to back up your point. But my, my, my thing would be, that, you know, the pass defense still, you know, again, nitpicking, but Washington State put up 400. Uh, we saw what UW did. Uh, Caleb Williams is coming in, and the thing about Caleb is he's tough to get to because he's so elusive, and if you devote a lot of guys to him, he's going to pick you apart. If you back up in coverage, he's going to dance around forever. So that's one area we've got to wonder about with Caleb Williams still on the schedule and possibly Penix. The pass defense needs to tighten up a little bit still. All right. When we come back, we'll close up shop, give you our tools for victory. Oregon hosting USC, a huge home game looming. We'll let you know what the Ducks need to do to get the dub when we come back on Talking Ducks. You're watching Talking Ducks, built by Par Lumber. Welcome back. Time now for Tools for Victory, brought to you by Leatherman. And Joey, let's go ahead and start with you. The Ducks are 16.5 point favorites over USC at home. But we've talked about it already. You've got Caleb Williams. You have a talented defense that got rid of their coordinator. Maybe they have some more juice as they get set to take on the Ducks, a chance to make a national statement. Tools for Victory for Oregon. What do the Ducks need to utilize here? You know, last week I went with the uh, I went with the Phillips head to just kind of tighten it down as the game goes on. I'm going straight blade this time because you know, almost like just just straight machete, like not like serrated blade. We just this is going to be a you just got to go. You just got to slice and you got to slice and you got to cut and you just got to keep going until well, not until because Caleb Williams is on the other side because he's just going to go and he's going to go. And not that you can't stop them, but it's going to be difficult too. So for me, this is a this is a go hard or go home type of game. This isn't a this is this is going to need some big plays. You're going to need some gash plays. You're going to need some ex explosive plays. That you're going to have to slice them. You're going to have to gash them. This is going to be straight blade. You got to take it right. You got to take it right to them. All right, all right, Aaron, what you got? Uh, man. To me, if you just show up... Spoken like a true, confident <laughs> handyman <It's>, here. <laughs> if you just show up and execute the way you've been executing, it's going to be like a hot knife through butter. I mean, there's no reason to really believe that a change of coordinator is going to, you know, totally revamp this defense. And if that's the case, you're going to score at will. Like, there's, there's no reason to believe USC is going to all of a sudden figure out how to stop people they could barely deal with Cal a couple of weeks ago. So, to me, just play good fundamental football. Do what you've been doing. Don't hurt yourself with penalties. And the, the scoreboard is just going to be going like a slot machine, and you're going to have more points than them. So, that's all. Just don't beat yourself. That's simple. Anthony. Yeah, well, with the Oregon's offense, you got to cut them loose. Just let them go score. Just, just you know, you put up 80, 
You know, we're not writing any letters for getting in trouble for how many points we're putting up. We're not having running clock. <laughs> like at you do at Westland, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but <laughs> we're not. Hey, you just got to score because, yeah, Caleb Williams. You you can't stop him. You you can maybe slow him down from time to time, but he's too good of a quarterback, and he has some good receivers that can get open, can separate from the DBs. Their their defense, you know, hey, who knows? I don't know what defense is going to show up. I know they have talent on that side of the ball, but still, you know, you don't just show up and go, okay, we're going to play great this game against a good Oregon offense. So cut the offense loose for Oregon. Let them just score points and put up put up 80, 85. Damn. All right, Damn. Joey, I would, 85 points. 85. <laughs> I would love to see it. I, I would love to see it. Uh, Joey, I, I'm looking at the Leatherman Firestarter rod that they offer, along with the multi-tool. And here's Ooh, why. Okay. You got to just start this game on fire. You can't be sitting there trying to get a flame going through the first quarter, through the second quarter. You look at a team that has shuffled defensive coordinators. They have three losses. They are out of the Heisman race. They're out of the conference championship race. There's not a whole lot left for them to play for other than pride and knocking off a team. If you jump on them 21-0, 21-7 in the first half, I think there could be some quick to this team, to be honest. And I think you've got to start this game off fast. You can't fall behind. You can't let USC take the lead and go into the locker room at halftime with confidence thinking, here's our chance to make a statement, to knock them off, to really reclaim the pride that this program has lost during the year. If you're Oregon, you got to have your best start of the season for this one, in my opinion. And so... We'll see what happens on that one. But let's get to our score predictions here real quick. I know Anthony already threw 85 points out there. Aaron, any thoughts on what this score breakdown is going to be? I believe the over-under is right around 73, 76. Don't quote me on that. Check it yourself, though. At the, at the break, I called my mortgage guy. I'm about to pull out 50 G's and put it on the open. No, um, Caleb's going to put up his points. He's, he's going to get his numbers. I, I like Oregon's defense, but I don't think – it's dominant to the point where it's going to slow him down. I just don't think it's going to matter. It'll be fascinating to see what happens with the defense. But I'm going to go Oregon 49-40. I don't think they're going to cover 17. I don't think Oregon's that good. I don't think USC is that bad. So I'm going to go 49-40 Ducks. Mm. Huh. Joey. What was Washington? It was 45-42 against Washington, right? I think so. So just based on that. 52-42. 52. Okay, so they got they got one they got one late. Okay, so I shut it off at 45. Oregon's defense is better than Washington's defense, so therefore they're going to give up less. So I'm going to say 34 for SC, and I think Bo is better than Penix, and I think Oregon's offense is playing better than Washington's offense. So I'm going to go more. So I think it's going to be 55 34. Okay, a wow. 25 point, 21 Smackdown. point victory for the Ducks. Okay. I've got 48-38 Oregon. Uh, I think a couple of field goals for each team. I think this is going to be closer than that spread, to be honest, just because that defense is going to play with more juice. But it'll be a fun one, and this is one of those games that we circled coming into the season. It's bigger for different reasons now because of the way that USC has stumbled, but what's on the table for the Ducks. But I think it's going to be a classic all around for Oregon. And so that'll do it for this edition of Talking Ducks. We will absolutely break this one down next week and we'll see where Oregon sits, but it should be a classic one. Bo Nix, Caleb Williams, Ducks, Trojans, and Austin Stadium in November. Doesn't get any better than that. Enjoy the game and we'll see you all next week. <laughs>